This is a Federal News Network podcast. The Biden administration has proposed showering every federal agency with expanded money, perhaps with the exceptions of Homeland Security and Defense Departments. If it gets enacted, how would agencies deal with double-digit increases? For some possible answers, we turn to former federal chief financial officer and White House official Doug Cristatello, now with Grant Thornton. Doug, good to have you back. Great to be here, Tom. So you're an agency CFO, for example, or you're a program person, and all of a sudden your program, again, this all has to be enacted yet, but your program gets 10, 20, in some cases 25% more money all of a sudden. It's not such an easy proposition to take that all in and deal with it properly, is it? Managing change is difficult, right? I think the status quo for a government agency is operating in a steady state is the most straightforward way to do your business. But change is difficult, whether you're taking budgetary cuts or significant increases. Either way, there are challenges that accompany both of those scenarios. And if you get a large amount of money, I guess, increase, and there's a sudden expansion of a program or a whole new program, you've got the problems of setting up that program and in a way that is also accountable. And I think we learned maybe from some of the pandemic relief money, a couple of trillion that flowed there, it's not even all expended yet. And now the reports of fraud and abuse are starting to come in from different quarters. So there's the issue of accountability. And how do you establish that early on? You know, it seems that agencies, when they receive funds in response to an external event, whether it was the financial crisis 2008 or the recent pandemic, it's always accompanied with a mandate to get those funds on the street quickly. So that's very challenging for agencies, particularly for the financial professionals within an organization who have a very strict set of procedures that they use for funds control. So A very poor motto for a CFO's office is we spend money quickly. That should not be an operating principle at all. But unfortunately, these organizations are faced with those challenges when these new programs spring up and the mandate is given, get this money out now. So it's enormously difficult. And unfortunately, there's a lot of cleanup that's frequently required after the fact. So therefore, I would think it's incumbent on the financial people to tell the program people, I mean, I'll make another example, IRS, it could get a huge boost to hire people and to boost up some of their enforcement or auditing programs. Those people in charge of those programs are really obligated to have a very detailed plan for the sudden increase, both on the hiring side and the program improvement side. Otherwise, the money could either go unspent or worse, it could get spent in the wrong way. Yes, agreed. So agencies need to be operating on their strategic plans, but also constantly revising it. And I think any substantial influx of additional dollars for a particular agency, they need to go back and sort of reconsider their strategic plan. How can we accomplish our mission given this new set of directions from the Congress, right, which is where the funds come from ultimately. So, you know, I'm a big champion of thinking strategically and having a plan and executing on it, but agencies also need to be nimble and they need to be willing to go in and revisit their strategic plan and reprioritize 
what they're trying to do in both the near and midterm. We're speaking with Doug Crisatello, Managing Director of Grant Thornton Public Sector and a former federal chief financial officer. So here we are in June, and Congress has barely begun to even take up this budget proposal. And the way things are looking, you know, it could be a continuing resolution once again, because that seems to be the one universal constant, no matter what, what administration or policy is in place. And so the money could come sometime by January, let's say, just to put a stake somewhere down. What should agencies be doing now, anticipating that there will be somewhat more money than they are probably expecting had the Biden administration not changed the policies across the government? Yeah, I think clearly agencies need to be thinking in terms of how are they going to staff up? You know, I think it's one thing to plan for additional program dollars, and that presents a series of challenges, you know, unto itself. But separately, Receiving significant additional operating funds takes an equivalent amount of focus by an agency to ensure that it can adhere to its new statutory mandates. And hiring isn't something that can occur quickly in an agency. You know, there were some hints in President Biden's fiscal 22 request that gets to what his management agenda might look like. And there's some talk in the budget document about expanding and enhancing the recruitment and hiring of talent within agencies, providing some centralized support for agencies to do that. So I'm very curious to see the details of that proposal as they emerge in the form of a president's management agenda. And in submitting plans for any given year ahead, is it generally the practice of program managers and financial officials and agencies to have maybe three plans, a cut plan, a continuing as we have plan, level budget, and an increase plan so that at least you have something you can pull down off the shelf as a kind of playbook depending on what actually happens? Yeah, I think that is worthwhile. And you could clearly rank each of those plans by which is most likely. I think clearly from Congress to Congress, you can get a pretty good sense as to whether at an agency, whether your budget is likely to go down, remain stable or go up. So I think that's a fantastic idea to have those plans in place. And the fact of the matter is, Financial management professionals that have been around for years, our budget career officials, they've seen this before, right? So they have a track record and they have experience living through times of budget austerity, you know, budget stability and, and budget increases. All three have happened, you know, even in, in the last decade. And what about the acquisition side? Because we've talked about operating money increases and staff increase money, and they present their own challenges. But then sometimes these increases and the demands that are related to them might cause an acquisition spike to be required. You have to buy stuff, services, or even equipment in some cases. And there's a lag in being able to do that, and yet you can't commit too early to do it in case you don't get the money. So is that a wrinkle they need to start thinking about also? Yeah, agreed. You know, my 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 hat goes off to the procurement professionals in this town and that that is an activity that is always very full and busy. So again though, this is another area that the budget, the 22 budget does 
includes a discussion about trying to modernize the federal acquisition system, you know, which will be another component of the president's management agenda. So, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing that as well. It's challenging. There's a lot to be done. And, you know, this is another area where we could see hiring increases. And I think the folks that do procurement across government would welcome that. So they're going to have multiple moving parts here, both trying to hopefully staff up and also handling much more demand from their internal clients in terms of providing support for procurement. So having read these documents pretty carefully, any other advice you want to make sure people know before the, uh, before the money hits the fan? Well, look, the way I took this budget request, I, you know, I thought it was imaginative and that and very inclusive. There is a lot in this document. And whether you agree with the policy proposals offered or not, the president has, you know, is using the correct forum to offer this vision and this bold strategic plan. There's a lot in there. There's, you know, the components of what will become the president's management agenda. So something other administrations have been slow to develop. So kudos to the administration for taking immediate action in that regard. I think it's wise to do scenario planning to understand, you know, what's likely to come in the budget year. But now, you know, as you know, agencies are still trying to absorb all of the pandemic recovery funds that have been provided for them. So they're already drinking out of the fire hose. So it's going to be a major challenge for agencies to take a step back and think about, a relatively normal year, fiscal 22, and how they might manage their priorities going forward. Doug Crisitello is Managing Director of Grant Thornton Public Sector, former federal financial official. Thanks so much for joining me. Great. Thank you, Tom. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe at Podcast One or wherever you get your shows. Welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Rick Wade, Senior Vice President of Strategic Alliances and Outreach at the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Previously, Rick was a Senior Advisor and Deputy Chief of Staff to Secretary of Commerce Gary Locke. He worked closely with the Obama administration, and he also worked with Commerce's Economic Development Administration to foster regional economic development in distressed areas and with the Minority Business Development Agency to create jobs through the growth of minority-owned businesses. He received a BS from the University of South Carolina and an MPA from Harvard University. Rick, welcome, and thanks so much for joining me. And thank you so much for having me. Look forward to the conversation. Rick, in today's environment, leaders have had to adapt and find new ways to lead with transparency and empathy. But can you tell us a bit about how you've adapted your leadership style. You know, this past year has clearly uh, presented some unique challenges that uh, certainly me uh, or I as a leader uh, have had to adapt. Uh, you think about a pandemic, for example, that has uh, placed us in probably one of the most challenging circumstances is sort of lead in a virtual world now. I've not been in my office uh, for nearly a year. And, and the idea that we don't have the human interaction uh, which I think is very important when you think about the empathy 
that is a, a very important value of leadership. So trying to lead from a virtual uh, environment chain and be empathetic and be sensitive to the needs of others has presented a terribly difficult challenge. One of the other defining uh, moments, I think, in our time uh, that has dictated uh, a change in leadership, if you will, uh, was the murder of George Floyd. I think it created a whole different consciousness uh, in America and certainly within me uh, about the importance of being empathetic uh, in, uh, in, in the way I lead, to be inclusive, uh, to, be, uh, uh, to, to lead in a way uh, in which you're very sensitive to the impact of your decisions uh, on, those, on others uh, across our community. So it certainly has been a challenging year uh, to adapt, uh, but I'm happy to say that uh, I'm still here and we're moving forward. Perfect. Throughout your career, what have been some pivotal moments or lessons learned that have shaped the leader that you are today? You know, there have been so many moments, Shane. I, you know, I grew up in rural South Carolina, uh, quite honestly, at a time when I, I mean, I saw what legal segregation was. I mean, I, I wasn't able to go to an integrated school until middle school, being bused across town. And I remember, as strangely as it may sound, uh, in 1979, I wanted to run for vice president of my student body at Lancaster High School, a liberal school. And I had to run on the ballot as vice president black, literally. And there was another candidate who ran as vice president white. And the irony of that story uh, is that the following year, I ran for president and I won overwhelmingly. That was a lesson for me in leadership. And, and the lesson there was, you know, perseverance, uh, have the tenacity, uh, have a vision and overcoming barriers. And, and I didn't let the idea uh, that the construct that I had to run as vice president uh, 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 deter me from reaching my bigger dream, which was to represent students. So I know that's a, that, that perhaps may be a small example of leadership, but it really did define how I view myself, uh, the vision that I have uh, my willingness to to fight for change, and that was that was the beginning. I think that set the foundation of how I lead. And there've been so many other moments. Uh, one of the most defining moments for me personally was uh, the, the 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 massacre at Mother Emanuel Church in Charleston, South Carolina. A very close friend of mine, Senator Reverend Clemente Pinckney, who lost his life, and and it, it conjured up again these issues of how deep the divide in terms of race in America is. And, but it also inspired me to lead even more and to lead harder and to lead with diligence and vigilance uh, to help close that divide. So there've been so many defining moments uh, uh, in my career. I, I will tell you even uh, after the murder of George Floyd and my role at the US Ch Chamber of Commerce uh, to galvanize the business community uh, inspired by that tragedy and now we have a whole broad, historic sweeping, what we call equality of opportunity initiative that I'm leading, that I, that, that, that I was inspired to develop. And we're bringing together corporations from across America to address what we call equality of opportunity. So my point there, I think, with all of these moments, they've all been pivotal moments at different parts of my life, my career, my journey. And I've seized those moments to make the best uh, of, of them, of, of what I could. That's fantastic. It's a great, great answer. Many stories. Thank you very much for sharing that. Um, who is the most impactful leader in your life? And what quality did you admire about them? 
You know, I, again, I, I can't say that I had, I had just one, but I would tell you the one person who, uh, who had, whose historical leadership has inspired me the most, and that is the leadership of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And there's so many attributes there that are consistent with my values. But the one, the one part of his leadership was vision. And I, I mean, the idea that you can have a dream, which we often define and think of his big, I have a dream speech. But I think that's a really important attribute of leadership, Shane, that you can sort of see beyond the challenges of today and see a better future for people and for yourself. So the, the idea that leaders have vision uh, despite the challenges, is seeing a forest despite the trees, is seeing an opportunity despite the barriers. And that, that attribute, I think, is one that, that I embody. I mean, I, I, I'm very optimistic uh, despite the challenges, despite the circumstances. So the whole notion of vision uh, was a very important attribute that I, I learned and that I tried to emulate from the leadership of Dr. King. Wow, fantastic. And as someone who's got an extensive background of federal service uh, and out of federal service, what advice would you give to feds looking to develop leadership skills? And, and you can talk about mid-career, senior career, early career. Um, what comes to mind there? Yeah, listen, I mean, you're aware that I had the, the, the fortunate opportunity. We didn't have a secretary of commerce when uh, President Obama, uh, of course, I served as one of his senior advisors, was inaugurated. And the president asked me to go to the Department of Commerce to hold the fort down. And that was one of the most exciting experiences in my entire career, not just for the title and, and, the, and the wonderful experiences, but I understood the value of federal employees. And, and folks forget sometimes, Shane, that we political appointees, we come and go. But the folks who, who are grinding every day, who are at their desk, no matter rain, sleet or snow, uh, who bring innovations, but yet don't don't get the credit for it because the political appointees get all the credit. I think I learned something about the humility of of being a leader, uh, and 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 I, I I built so many friends who were federal employees, not just at the manager level, but the frontline workers, the administrative assistants. And I was very deliberate. I mean, one of the things that I was most proud of, strangely enough, I was that guy, even though I was senior advisor to the. Secretary of Commerce, and I, I, my office was on the floor, the top floor. We call it the blue carpet, Shane. But I made a deliberate point to go eat in the cafeteria every day, as many days as I could, just to sit down and talk with employees. And I grew from that. And, and, and there were so many times where I took their ideas back to the blue carpet and said, and I told the Secretary Locke, you got to go down and sit down and talk with regular, common, everyday folks. They're in the cafeteria, not in the dining room on the blue carpet. And so he started doing that. So the, the point is, I think for me, the advice that I would give is to continue to do the hard work. I do think that we should do a better job in government in providing the kind of admiration for those workers as we do the high level appointees. And, and that may be something that, uh, that I'm looking to work on myself uh, to help continue to advocate for our federal employees. Uh, they, they, those are the hard workers. That's where the work gets done. And, um, and, 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 and so I think that's a lesson for me, if there was some advice and counsel I could give, is to continue to do your work. But, but we have to do our work as leaders of these agencies to create ladders uh, of success and, and, and reward and admiration for the hard work that they do. Rick, thank you very much. You've inspired me. These are tremendous insights and stories. Uh, I love every single one of them. And you've 
got a fascinating journey in leadership yourself. And thank you very much for sharing that with us today. Well, thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. I'm Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Thank you for listening to today's Lessons in Leadership podcast. And until we see you next time, take good care. Hi, it's Kristen. Did you know that not doing things is easier than doing them? There's a lot of things to do, especially this time of year. But when you don't do things, there's more time to do things. Does that make sense? What I mean is when you use Shipt to get everything from gifts to groceries delivered same day, you have more time for the things you want to do. To not do things so that you can do other things, visit shipped.com slash holiday. That's S-H-I-P-T dot com slash holiday. As fall fills up with activities and obligations, even a small time saver can feel like a big help. Grammarly is an all-in-one writing tool that makes clear, concise communication easier than ever. So you can finish your work earlier and head off to family dinners, social events, and fall weddings. Grammarly is free to download and works where you do, so every project gets finished quicker. Make sure your writing is free of mistakes with Grammarly's free, comprehensive writing suggestions and get an instant take on how your message comes across with the free tone detector. Let Grammarly Premium's sentence clarity rewrites help you find the perfect words on the first try. You'll be confident writing client emails, deadline-driven reports, and presentations without staying late at the office. Get more time back in your day by writing with Grammarly. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcasts to sign up for a free account. Then get 20% off when you're ready to upgrade to Grammarly Premium. That's Grammarly.com slash podcasts.